we're, we're in a series called Hoping Against Hope this Advent, Hoping Against Hope. This is a series for anyone who's feeling disillusioned by things going on in their life, things they read about in the news, and you're looking for an alternate between cynicism and naivety. Is anyone wanting an alternate between being naive and being cynical? I think a lot of us start out in life sailing on good ship optimism, which is a flimsy sailboat that works exceptionally well on a sunny day. Have you ever been uh, an expert sailor on good ship optimism, where you just assume this is how life works? If you know how to navigate uh, a little bit, things will go well. If you, if you do the right things, the right things will happen to you. On good ship optimism, we assume that if you mean well, things will go well. Have you ever thought that? Was there ever a stage in your life where you had that idea that if you do the right things and if you mean well, if you have good intentions, things are going to go pretty well? And sooner or later, when you're sailing on good ship optimism, you crash against the jagged rocks of reality. There's a relationship that you're in, and you get heartbroken by someone that you trusted. Um, there's a leader that lets you down, or an institution that you look to as a source of stability and hope, and they betrayed you. you they betrayed your trust. Or maybe God didn't protect you from sickness. He didn't protect you from loss. He didn't protect you even from something evil happening to you or to someone that you love. What happens to the flimsy sailboat of good ship optimism when that happens? When you disillusion, when you can no longer trust. If you ever had a shipwreck on good ship optimism, the temptation is to want to get out of the water altogether and climb to the heights of the lighthouse of cynicism, where you know better than to get into the water. Hmm, oh yeah, I see what's going on down there. Yeah, I can see all of the mixed motives down there and the, the evil systems down there, and oh, I'm never going to trust again. I would rather be up on my perch where I'm protected by stone walls. All those happy, shiny people sailing their little sailboats, we never get it in the water again. We stay protected. We stay all-knowing. We don't get too committed. We don't get too involved. Being naive, being cynical, is there a third way? That's the question. Every time Advent comes around, but especially this year. Because God has not called us to live up in the lighthouse of cynicism. Looking down self-protectively, looking down with smugness. He's called us to navigate the water with a better vessel than good ship optimism. During Advent, we're called to step foot out of our cynicism into the ancient, sturdy vessel called Christian hope. For thousands of years, prophets and saints have navigated their way through the world in this sturdy ship. And this ship has the ballast to withstand the storms of evil, uncertainty, and injustice. It doesn't stop those things but it gives you the resources and the strength to navigate through them. And in these weeks, we're exploring these routes that have been charted 
by the living God and sailed by the people of God so that we can chart the same course because that's our calling. We're not called to be in the midst of a shipwreck. We're not called to be in a cynical lighthouse. We're called to navigate the waters of our world in Christian hope. That's been a violent year in our city. So we need Advent more than ever. It's been a violent uh, year even in our own neighborhood of Uptown. In 2016 alone, in our city, 4,098 people have been shot. That doesn't include the weekend totals. And, and so it's probably gone up since then. Um, there have been uh, 3,436 people wounded by gun violence. There have been 662 people killed by gun violence in Chicago. There have been over 738 homicides in our city. 738 people have been killed in one way or another by another human being intentionally in our city. On Thanksgiving weekend alone, so that Thanksgiving weekend, over 60 people were shot in Chicago. What were you doing on Thanksgiving weekend? Here, 60 people were shot. When you receive numbers like that, when you hear numbers like that, you start going numb. Have you ever gone numb? I've gone numb hearing numbers like that. I, we've heard them all year round. Um, and those numbers are like the unforgiving, jagged rocks of reality that will smash anybody sailing on good ship optimism. Those kinds of numbers will make you want to take shelter in the cynical lighthouse. From the lighthouse, we can all watch it happen and gasp to ourselves and to our friends we can, we can cast blame. We can blame the gangs. We can blame gentrification. We, we can blame the police. We can blame um, systemic poverty. Or maybe we're in the shipwreck ourselves. Maybe some of you have been in the crosshairs of Chicago's violence. Maybe it's left you hopeless. And it's so important for us to learn how to hope when we live in a violent city. It's so important for us to hope after we hear all the news reports, after we uh, read about the violence. It's so important for us to get rescued from the trauma of shipwreck if we're in the midst of that trauma. Because without hope, violence gets worse. Did you hear me? Violence gets worse if you don't have hope. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm getting out of this neighborhood? That's the last thing that our city needs. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm leaving Chicago? It's too bad here. That's the absolute last thing that Chicago needs is for people who, in the face of bad news, flee because they're hopeless. I'm just gonna live my quiet life. I'm not gonna get too involved. It's too dangerous. That's the last thing that a violent city needs is for people to start disengaging. That makes the violence worse. Now, ancient Israel knew this. Um, they'd experienced a lot of trauma, lot of trauma, worse than you or I have experienced, at the hands of violent armies, violent oppressors. And one of their prophets, Isaiah, knew that one of the resources that can restore our hope is leadership. If you're in the midst of violence, you need good leadership. Someone who can stop the violence without perpetuating the violence. Have you ever experienced leadership that can stand up to violence without becoming violent themselves. It's really important 
when you're experiencing uh, violence. And so Isaiah, who was inspired by God, listening to the Spirit of God, pointed again and again to a deliverer. He's pointing to a deliverer who would not just make the world better, but he would transform it entirely. A deliverer who's not just going to bring little fixes to little things, not just going to make life a little bit better, but he's actually from the, fundamentally going to change the world and root out violence entirely, root it out from our neighborhoods, from our souls, from our world entirely. Can you imagine a leader who could do that? Christian hope, Advent hope, is looking for the coming of that leader. That's who we're looking for in Advent. It's a leader who can deal effectively with violence without becoming violent themselves. Not a leader who makes empty promises about violence. We've all experienced leaders like that. Not a leader who uses violence as an opportunity to gain power. They use it as an opportunity to get in front of the news camera and become more significant. And we're not looking for a leader who becomes violent themselves. This Advent, we are looking for leadership who can root out violence from our relationships, from our workplaces, from our souls, from our neighborhoods, and from our whole city. We need a leader who is humble yet strong, who has the capacity to stop the violence, but who also has the capacity to heal what causes violence in the first place can go very, down to the very root, the very source of violence, and deal with it at the root level. And we're learning in Advent to hope for this leader, to look for this leader, to live fully and deeply under this leader's nonviolent rule. We, in fact, as we wait for this leader, we'll learn that we become symbols of his nonviolent kingdom. We become sacraments. We become signs in our humble vulnerable lives of Jesus's leadership, his nonviolent rule, his nonviolent kingdom. So who is this leader? That's what we're talking about today, who our leader is. We're looking from Isaiah 11. You can turn there now. In your Bibles and your bulletins, Isaiah tells the suffering people of God, these people who, who have been, they've been totally owned. They've been totally shipwrecked. And they're in the process of giving up hope entirely because they don't want to get hurt anymore. And Isaiah is going to point them to a leader who can deal with the violence. And this leader is superhuman and he's super humble and he brings super healing. He's superhuman and yet he's super humble and he brings with him super healing, a deep level healing. So let's look at the superhuman leader that Isaiah points to. Verse one, it says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now Isaiah speaks of a leader who will emerge from the stump of Jesse. And Jesse was of course, uh, he was the father of King David, who was the king over Israel during their golden era, when all the enemies left them alone because they were tired of getting owned by the military of Israel. They were tired of, of, the, of the general, David, 
like, like routing them again and again and again. And they're just like, we're just going to leave you alone. And so Israel grew into its greatest era of prosperity in that, in that time. And, and during that time, they were led, not, David was able to transfer from being a military leader to being a cultural leader. He wrote many of the Psalms and led his people in a religious and cultural renaissance of sorts. Um, he was a skilled politician. He was able to move the capital to the city of Jerusalem and restore Israel's promise and set the foundation for his son to build a temple that they had always longed for. There was such hope in Israel when King David was the leader. It was like, finally, we got the leader we wanted. Finally, we got the king we'd always dreamed of. This was the son of Jesse. But by the time this text was written, that great giant oak tree of Jesse's line had been cut down to a stump. A stump. After all that, after being one of the most successful, amazing, ancient countries. It's just a stump. And why was it a stump? Because David was all too human, wasn't he? He was all too human. He, he committed what, what looks to be a type of using his power to, to, to get sex. And then he used his power again to murder someone, to murder the husband of the person that he took to bed. And then there was chaos and rivalry and deceit and rape within his family. And then the kings that came after him were kind of incompetent and corrupt and egotistical. And then the nation got divided. All too human. Have you ever experienced a leader who is all too human? And what started out as peaceful and, 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 and culturally uh, amazing becomes violent, becomes plotting, and becomes a pitiful stump. As mighty as King David was, he was all too human, and his mighty line just got cut down to size. But Isaiah is going to speak of a shoot that's going to come from that stump. Yeah, the stump's been cut down. We all know what it's like to have a cut down stump. But there is a shoot that's going to come from that stump that is more than human. Not less than human, fully human, but more than human. A leader, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, which is knowing what to do in any given situation. You know exactly, you have exact wisdom and understanding. You have the, all the depth that you need but also the spirit of counsel and might. You have the power to do what you need to do. Not only do you make the right decisions, you have the power to carry out decisions. And then the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, someone completely submitted to the Lord in all these things. Have you ever had a human leader who bats a thousand on their decisions? Anybody? Have a leader that just bat, they know exactly what to do? Does anyone know a leader who hits it out of the park every time they make a decision. They're able to carry it out completely. They never run into roadblocks that stop them. They never, there's no bureaucracy that can stop them. There's no... Do you know a leader like this? That would be a superhuman leader. Name a human leader that enjoys perfect communion with Almighty God and is fully submitted to God 
and filled to overflowing with God's spirit. Do you know of any leader who is absolutely perfectly submitted to God and there's, there's no sense in which there's any distance between that leader and God? That would be a superhuman leader. And Isaiah points us to a leader who's fully human, okay, kind of organically growing from the stump of Jesse, but he's dripping with divine power. He's anointed for leadership. That's the kind of leader that Israel learned to hope in after they had been overrun by Assyria and Babylonia. And that's the kind of leader in whom we place our hope in Advent of 2016 in the city of Chicago. Don't we need a leader like this? We do. We need a leader with perfect knowledge and unlimited power to root out the violence in our city. We are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for this kind of leadership. Someone who is fully human, yet so full of his Father's blessing and the Holy Spirit that people, millions of people since his death and resurrection have oriented their lives around him. Someone who looked weak on the outside, but was so, he was so wise in carrying out his power that not only can he stop violence, but he can actually root violence out of somebody's life by giving them his spirit. What a superhuman leader Jesus is. And this is the leader we need today. Advent 2016 in the city of Chicago. And, but we don't just need a superhuman leader. We also need a super humble leader. We need a super humble leader. Read with me in verse three. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Verse four. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. You know what arrogant leaders do? They make rash decisions without seeking input from people. They think they know. They're way up on the perch. And they think that from their perch, they can see what's going on because they're higher up. That's what arrogant leaders do. They make snap judgments based on surface realities. And they make bad decisions and injustice and violence flow from those bad decisions. They, they don't stop Injustice, they don't stop violence. In some cases, they perpetuate it because they're arrogant, because they don't listen, because they don't look beyond surface appearances. That is a sign of an arrogant leader, judging from a perch, high above. How did Jesus seek justice for the poor? How was he able to decide with equity for the meek of the earth? He descended. He descended. He's so associated with the poor that he became poor. He was born as a vulnerable baby to a family with very few resources. He was born in, a, in, a, in kind of a stable-like environment, maybe a cave, with farm animals, with the smell of urine. He, he grew up in a town that thought that he was the product of an illicit relationship. Ah, the son of Mary. Jesus knew how to execute justice for the poor because he deeply 
and fully non-paternalistically associated with them by becoming one of them. He didn't judge from high above from a perch. He came down and lived among the poor. And then he didn't decide based on surface appearances who was guilty and who was innocent. Give you a few examples of judging the poor with righteousness and with equity. You guys uh, ever heard of the Gerasene demoniac, this man in Gerasene? He was, he was uh, violent. He was separate from the community. They didn't know what to do with him. Surface appearances say it's his fault, that he's just a mean guy, he's just a, just a crazy guy. Jesus could see that he was spiritually tormented, and he got up close, and he cast the demons out, and then he restored that man to his community. How about another time with the widow who gave two little coins that were worth a penny? And, every, and he's like, hey, guys, guys, look, look, look. That was the most generous person all day long over here. That, that, that widow, she gave more than anyone else gave because he was looking at the value of her coins. He was looking at the size of her generosity. He's like, no, 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 you can't fool me with these surface appearances. This is a generous woman. What he encountered a centurion whose servant was, was, uh, was sick? Was that the point of death? Did he look at that centurion's Roman garb and go, oh, you're just part of the system. You're just a man in uniform. No. He saw his faith. No, he's like, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus did not judge people based on stereotypes. He didn't judge people based on surface appearances. He didn't make snap, arrogant decisions. Why? Because he was humble, because he had a deep association with the poor. And so with righteousness and with equity and with faithfulness as part of his very being, he could make good decisions about people that went beyond surface appearances. Jesus was not only superhuman, just full of the spirit of God, making perfect decisions with perfect might, he was super humble. And this is the kind of leader that we need in Chicago, isn't it? This is the kind of leader that we look to when we need read news reports of over 4,000 people getting shot in one year alone. The year's not even over. What do we need? We need a leader who's not going to look at that and start casting blame left and right and start, and start judging people based on surface appearances. That's the kind of leader who can root out violence without perpetuating it. We need a leader who's superhuman. We need a leader who's super humble. And finally, we need a leader who brings super healing. Read with me in verse six, the impact of this leader. What happens when he begins to carry out his leadership? Well, the wolf lies down with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like, a, like the ox. The nursing child, okay, a child less than one year old, um, shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. Don't you just want to rescue that child from putting his hand, playing with snakes? You don't have to. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth 
shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is a figurative, poetic picture that, that demonstrates to us what it would look like and feel like for violence and death to be rooted out of our world completely. And this is Jesus' program. He is not satisfied simply to make the murders go away or the gun violence go away, although that is the impact of Jesus' leadership. That is the impact of his kingdom when all is said and done. In his death and resurrection, Jesus started a new world that he invites all of us to come into and be a part of, a world that does not leave Chicago behind but renews it from the inside out. And in that world, there is no violence. In that kingdom, there is no usury. There, is no, um, there are no homicides. There are no shootings. There's not the kind of competition that's at each other's throats. And this, to us, is nearly unimaginable. But it is possible, and it's part of Jesus' program. For a large part of last month, the month of uh, November, I was part of a jury here in Chicago. And it was, um, it was a, a homicide case, a gang-related homicide case, um, for a, a shooting a homicide that took place, a homicide and attempted homicide. One person was shot and killed. One person was shot, not killed. One person was shot at, but not hit. And um, it, this happened, this whole thing happened in the southwest side of Chicago in 2012. And um, as part of the jury, we listened uh, for day after day after day, we listened to evidence um, from both the defense and the, um, the people. Um, about the way gangs operate. And we heard from, from gang members, some of them current, some of them former, about, about how gangs operate. And what we learned was that um, essentially gangs are right up next to each other. I mean, seriously, it's like you cross the street and you're in someone else's territory, but it, this is not like some, this is where they live. So you can be born on one block and someone's born on the next block and you grow up to, to hate each other. You're taught to hate each other. You're taught to disrespect each other. And there's all kinds of disrespect that goes on. If you wear the wrong clothes, you make the wrong signals, you drive your car through the other person's territory, that's disrespect, and in many cases, it earns a reprisal of death. And that perpetuates itself. It's lethal, and I was heartbroken to hear from these witnesses because what happens is these are kids. These are high school-aged or thereabouts kids that otherwise could be friends. Otherwise, maybe they could be on the same basketball team or grow up to spur one another on in their education. It could be iron sharpening iron. It could be partnership, but instead, it's competition to the death. And that ideology has a stronghold on a lot of youth in our city. It's a big reason, not the only reason, why there's a lot of violence. And I just couldn't help, I, was so, I couldn't help thinking, what would happen if the, if the long history of violence between these gangs could be worked through rather than perpetuated? What if it could be healed instead of perpetuated? And under Jesus' leadership, 
that becomes a reality. That is possible under Jesus' rule. He turns violent relationships like a lion and the lamb into peaceful relationships, and he calls vulnerable, childlike people to follow him in leading people out of violence. So in verse 6, the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the young goat, the lion and the fattened calf, they live in the same ecosystem together. That's what happens under Jesus' leadership. Verse 7, the lion becomes a vegetarian, okay, which is figurative language to talk about the, the, the depth of transformation that Jesus brings when he leads. Verse 8, little babies, they're allowed to play with snakes. There's no more death at all when Jesus leads. That's the kind of leadership that he brings. It's super healing. It's healing at the deepest levels. And who's leading? A little child. A little child is leading. John Oswald, who's commenting on this passage, says this. Listen. A child, not a strutting monarch, is the one whom God chooses to rule this world's great. In innocence, simplicity, and faith lie the salvation of a globe grown old in sophistication, cynicism, and violence. In innocence, simplicity, and faith lie the salvation of a globe grown old in sophistication, cynicism, and violence. If you retreat to the tower of cynicism and stay there, you're not being led by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're there this morning, you need a little child, the child that we wait for in Advent, to take you by the hand down the spiral staircase of the lighthouse of cynicism and lead you back into the vessel of Christian hope. That's the only way our city will be healed of violence is if people follow the leader who is superhuman and super humble and super healing. Are you willing to follow that innocent and vulnerable leader and become a symbol of his nonviolent rule? A child is our leader, my friends. A child who was born into poverty and vulnerability. A child who grew into a humble man who refused to stereotype. A child who took on our violence so that he could remove it from our world forever. This is the kind of leader we need in Advent of 2016 in the city of Chicago. Let's look to Jesus in Advent. Look to Jesus, the superhuman, super humble, super healing leader. He's our true north. And as we do, as we navigate in his direction, he will fill us with his Holy Spirit. He will fill us with his discernment. We are united with him. We have all the resources he has. And then we become living symbols of his nonviolent world. Are you willing to become one of his sacraments? Are you willing to become one of his symbols? You know what? Everyone wants justice. No one wants to show up for jury duty. Am I right? It's one of the most practical things that you can do. 
Don't be like me and complain if you're selected. <laughs> Next time you see Laura, ask her how much like, I did my fair share of complaining. You know what? It's one of the most practical things that we can do to be symbols of peace and justice and hope in our city. Show up, pay attention to all of the evidence, do the best that you can because you're given a lot of power to execute justice. Others of you might hear about friends and neighbors leaving Chicago because of all the violence. Don't follow their lead. Pray about whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to live here, to put down roots here, to be a symbol of his nonviolent rule here. Maybe you have a competitor, and when you see their success, something visceral rises up within you, and you want to devour them like a lamb. You can begin to pray for them, whether they're competing for a spouse, or competing for a job, or competing for market share. Pray for their success. Pray for their success. Do something kind for them. It's not to say that you're not going to seek your own advancement. It's not gonna, that doesn't mean that you have to throw away your career. It just means that you don't devour your competitors. Ask the Lord and his people for a way to lead in our city with innocence and faith in the situations where God has placed you. Because all of us experience instances where violence begins to come from somewhere deep within us. Somewhere deep within our souls and our families in our neighborhoods, in our situations. Pray for innocence, pray for peace, pray for the Holy Spirit. What happens when the people of God climb down from the tower of cynicism and board Christian hope, that ancient sturdy vessel, and begin to navigate in the direction of that light, Jesus Christ? Well, in the words of Isaiah, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.